Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I am Dr. Pamela Larde, and this is The Joy Whisperer, where we explore the practice and the science of joy as a catalyst for our resilience, our relationships, our restoration, and our resistance. Today, we are going to dive deeply into the complex issue of race and identity-based joy. What do the two have to do with the other? Well, a lot of times when we look at race and how we combat race, joy has been a catalyst for doing that. So we're gonna be looking at three truths. Number one, Racism is indeed a public health crisis. Number two, overstimulation drains us. And number three, identity-based joy is not a form of racism. In fact, it is a form of self-love and survival. So get ready, take notes, and let the joy whispering begin. Honey, what I think you need is a socket wrench. I played JV basketball. I'm sorry. I don't think it looks right. This is good, and it's all good, baby. Is it really all good? If you love me enough to routinely test your handyman skills, not to mention the strength of your marriage, then of course you'll visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to make sure I'm in the right car seat. My Shiro doesn't always wear a cape, but she always has time for a hug, a smile, for going the extra mile. My Shiro stretches every dollar, puts in long hours, puts others first. But now it's your time, Mom. When you're ready to retire, we want you to be able to enjoy it. It's time to start saving now. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to start boosting your retirement savings today. Visit aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. Most of my family, they never graduated high school or even let alone go to college, so I'm trying to break that barrier. Every day after work, went straight to school, studied hard, and, and it paid off. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. The high school diploma is just added to the confidence, and now I feel unstoppable. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. So today's theory to live by is a concept called racial socialization. The idea is that, particularly in Black families, we want to find ways to communicate messages to our children to help prepare them for some of the negative realities that we see in society um, around our race and our positioning um, in this country. So the American Psychological Association came up with five ways that shows how Black families tend to integrate racial socialization in their families. Number one is messages that emphasize pride in being black. Number two, 
warnings about racial inequality. So making sure the children know that these are some of the things that happen in society. Number three, messages that de-emphasize the importance of race, um, sometimes called a colorblind approach, and instead may emphasize that the hard work ensures overcoming racism. Now, this one is a bit controversial because a lot of people believe that this really kind of minimizes the reality of what's going on out there. Another strategy is mistrust of other racial and ethnic groups. And number five is absolute silence about race and racial issues. So these are five different ways that parents go about racially socializing their children. Think about what you may have been exposed to and what may have been effective versus not effective. And let's think about how our racial socialization impacts the approach that we take towards racial diversity um, in our own lives. Do we talk about it? Are we forthcoming about it? Were we taught pride or were we taught silence? This is all gonna make a great difference in how we approach race as adults. It's time to tag a friend in this conversation. The reason that I want to be able to have conversations about race and that I think it's important is because there's a lot of systemic and historic things that have caused differential treatment to people based upon their race. Um, and if I want to be able to support people and be there for them, get to know them, get to know their stories, a part of that identity, a part of their experience is their race. So it's easier to not talk about it, but it's not acknowledging part of who they are and part of how society views them. Racism is a public health crisis here in the United States. And this is a really important truth to pay attention to because it's not a figment of our imaginations. It is something that is real and that has a real and profound impact on our lives, all of our lives, regardless of what our racial background is. If you are Caucasian, racism has an impact on your life as well. So according to the CDC and looking at the 209 declarations that have been passed in 37 states as of 2020, racism is a public health issue that is an, it's an official announcement. And the reason why this is an official announcement is because these 37 states really did an analysis on the impact of racism on the people of color in their country. And really, by definition, according to the CDC, and I'll just read it verbatim, racism is a system of consisting of structures, policies, practices, and norms that assigns value and determines opportunity based on the way that people look or the color of their skin. And this results in conditions that unfairly advantage some and disadvantage others. So the the idea is here is that racism is a system of structures and policies and practices that are put into place. It's not necessarily just about the way that somebody talks to another person or calling somebody a name. Yes, those are all um, you know after effects or remnants of racism that exists. But what racism is as a as a whole and as a structure, it's a system that is intentionally designed at one point, and then whether or not it's intentional, it is maintained to keep people um, at a disadvantage and to keep other people at an advantage. So both interpersonal and structural 
um, racism, it negatively affects the mental and physical health of those who are being affected negatively. It blocks the highest levels of health, the highest levels um, of well-being, and consequently, um, the health of our nation. And that's key, because why would 37 states declare something like racism as a public health issue? Why would the CDC stand behind something as ra- like racism as a public health issue? Because not only does it impact the people who are being affected, neg- affected negatively and positively, really, it also affects the health of our nation. So there is a compelling need to look at the across-the-board health of our nation um, and the ways in which racism is creating, um, you know, the negative effects of our health. And so if we look at some of these um, effects of, um, you know, the, the, the social determinants of health, how do we know, this is according, again, to the, to the CDC, how do we know that, you know, a, a, a nation is struggling with its health? Um, what are some of the things that are looked at for these 37 states that determined that racism is a public health crisis in their states? They're looking at four specific areas. And number one is housing and looking at the equity in housing, the condition of the housing, access to housing. Number two is education, really looking at the same things, access to quality education, the, the extent to which the education is quality. Um, Number three, wealth. How is access to wealth, um, you know, how does that exist in those particular states? If people are being um, hindered from purchasing homes, if there are roadblocks to that, if there are roadblocks to owning and building businesses, then we are, in fact, um, blocking the ability for people to acquire wealth. And then the last one is employment. And not only looking at employment rates and whether or not that employment exists for people, but the quality of the employment and whether or not that employment is something that is sustainable, you know, to the families that are um, being impacted. And I'll end with this. As we look at racism as a public health crisis, the consequences are dire. They include greater risk of poor health outcomes, higher rates of illness and death across a wide range of health conditions, including diabetes, hypertension, obesity, asthma, and heart disease. The life expectancy of non-Hispanic Black Americans is four years lower than that of white Americans. And finally, communities of color disproportionately are impacted by COVID due to these conditions. I bet you didn't know that the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the United States became the fastest group due to racism. When we come back, we're going to talk about who that group is. More of the Joy Whisperer coming up. An amazing experience. It was so much more than I expected. I didn't quite know what I was getting into when I signed up for this. Was it the right program for me? Was I going to get what I needed out of it? I got what I needed and more. For anyone considering becoming a coach, I highly recommend this program. This weekend intensive was so awesome. Uh, It allows structure and discipline and it's an efficient process. And most importantly, you have instructors that bring real life experiences that bring the content to life. I got practice. I'm not afraid to walk out and coach somebody right now. I also got clients and booked clients 
from those discussions. I also booked a speaking engagement from this weekend. This was way more than I could have imagined. We're just phenomenal. You know, I, I don't really think I could have asked for much more. If you need to do something to feel okay to drive, you're not okay to drive. Don't drive buzzed. My Shiro doesn't always wear a cape, but she always has time for a hug, a smile, for going the extra mile. My Shiro stretches every dollar, puts in long hours, puts others first. But now it's your time, Mom. When you're ready to retire, we want you to be able to enjoy it. It's time to start saving now. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to start boosting your retirement savings today. Visit aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. If you love them enough to drive an hour to cheer them on as they get beat 11 to nothing in the rain, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. about our society is the ways that we try to ignore and bury the reality of racism. And really what that does when we ignore racism, it just perpetuates racism. When we bury racism, it is an act of racism. And what's interesting is that we see this silencing around racism take place from people from a wide variety of backgrounds. So you'll see People of color who also, as I talked about with um, racial socialization, who also don't want to talk about race, who would actually prefer to focus on merit and the good work that we do as a way of getting credit and accolades in our society. Now, of course, if that was the way that our society worked, if there were not structures that were put into place intentionally to keep people, um, you know, behind and create barriers and allow the struggle, then of course merit would be the ideal situation. But that's not the reality. The reality is that there are these systems that are in place that still need to be dismantled, still need to be analyzed, still need to be examined so that we can understand the ways in which racism exists as well as how we can break down that racism. One of the ways that racism has manifested in our society um, has actually resulted in the rise of entrepreneurship, particularly for black women in this society. Now, while that it's a wonderful thing that black women are taking the reins of entrepreneurship and are thriving and are rising in that area, it is the reason is, is what's most disturbing. And the reason is because in the corporate world, black women have found it incredibly in, you know, difficult to deal with the microaggressions, the racism, the ceiling that has made it difficult for them to experience promotions and raises and so forth. So what's happened is that black women really being fed up with the conditions of the workplace have decided to take their talents and create their own businesses with those talents. Now, according to Forbes, 
Um, one of the articles that they wrote here, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure we have this posted on the Joy Whisperer site, it says that black women represent 42% of new women-owned businesses. Out of all women-owned businesses, black women represent 40, 42% of those. And majority black women-owned firms grew 67% from 2007 to 2012. And that's compared to only 27% for all women, which represents the highest growth rate in, of any female demographic during that time frame. Now, unfortunately, as we began to see this rise in women-owned businesses, we also began to see um, the ways in which COVID adversely impacted the Black community. And at the same time, what that meant is that it also impacted Black women businesses. And, and, and this is, goes back to the health of our societies. As we talk about the um, racism being a, um, a health issue and, you know, impacting the economics, the housing, um, all of those different elements, the education, black women businesses have also been impacted. And so what it's done is it has put us in a position of having to recalibrate and figure out whether or not we're going back to the workforce and how to make sure that our businesses can survive um, in these com conditions, especially when our communities are disproportionately impacted by um, COVID and all of the other things that are happening, seeming like, like the perfect storm um, within the society. The good news is that many um, businesses, Black-owned businesses, Black female-owned businesses have received the support to uh, enable them to continue on. However, there are those that have had to fold because they were not able to maintain during the COVID time. So, for example, for those that were in service industries um, that involved um, hair and um, services like care, different forms of care, they were not even able to operate during those times. But businesses that had the ability to go online, for example, um, fitness classes and different kinds of consulting services were actually able to thrive during that time. So it's important to remember the ways in which racism impacts us and what it causes us to do and how this can either make or break our status in society. There is power in joy and this week's power gear is the We Will Breathe line. Now, the We Will Breathe line comes in a wide variety of options and today I am wearing the t-shirt dress. I encourage you to go to thejoywhisperer.org and check out the wide range of options that we have to offer there. There are hats, there are t-shirts, there are even bags and mugs that say, we will breathe. Now, I am a huge fan of the I can't breathe movement, which we see more commonly, but I'm also a fan of celebrating our wins, looking toward the future, and grabbing on to the moments that do indeed allow us to breathe. So remember, we will breathe. Go to thejoywhisperer.org and get the gear that best fits you. STEM is the discipline of hard numbers, precise, no margin for error. Dare to forget that. Dare to have fun with it. Get weird with it. Dare to get messy or just mess it up. Dare to program something internet breaking, record breaking. Dare to blow their minds. 
dare to try, dare to fail, dare to keep daring. Dare to learn the difference between organic, sedimentary, and non-foliated metamorphic rock. Get outside, find those rocks. Dare to be homeroom famous, a high school fable. Dare to send those old STEM theories flying past the neighbor's house into outer space. And for the love of STEM, dare bigger. Dare to code, dare to invent, dare to explore, dare to STEM. Check out She Can STEM to get started. If you need to do something to feel okay to drive, you're not okay to drive. Don't drive buzzed. It's all is good, it, baby. Is it really all good? If you love me enough to routinely test your handyman skills, not to mention the strength of your marriage, then of course you'll visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to make sure I'm in the right car seat. Hmm, maybe you can make retirement happen. After all, you made home ownership happen. Homeschooling yourself on loans, beefing up your credit score. So I'm pre-approved. You were like, yes! Sorry. Color coding listings, ticking boxes, and flushing every toilet in a 20-mile radius. Home sweet home. You aced house hunting. Now get the tips you need to get on track at aceyourretirement.org. It's time to tag a friend in this conversation. Let me just say, being black, being a woman, being a black woman, there's literally nothing that brings me more joy. To know that I jump into this stream of history of surviving and now getting to thrive, let me tell you, there's nothing like being a black woman and the joy that brings me to know that I have the resilience, the creativity, the wherewithal to withstand anything and then in those moments where I no longer have to withstand the challenges that my ancestors, the enslaved people, human beings that I come from, there's nothing like being a black woman. Nothing that brings me more joy. Truth number two, overstimulation drains us. And it takes us away from the reality of what's actually going on. I'm going to read a quote by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, who is the author of Between the World and Me. He's also a national correspondent for The Atlantic and number one New York Times bestselling author. He says, but all our phrasing, race relations, racial chasm, racial justice, white privilege, even white supremacy, serves to obscure that racism is a visceral experience, that it dislodges brains, blocks airways, rips muscle, extracts organs, cracks bones, breaks teeth. You must always remember that the sociology, the history, the economics, the graphs, the charts, the regressions, all land with great violence upon the body. And I, I just find this quote so profound because what we lose in all of the overstimulation is the very reality that racism is not just a philosophy. It's not just an idea. It's not just something that is in the air. It is something that people physically feel. It is something that has resulted in lynching, in the breaking of bones, in, in, the, in the crushing of teeth. 
And we get so lost in all of the noise of society. And we think about the, you know, what, what the George Floyd murder, for example, represented, but often forget what was actually happening in this man's physical body as a result of racism, that the air was cut off from his lungs as a result of racism. So racism is not just, you know, a philosophical idea. It is something that actually impacts us. I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted with conversations around the slap, the political fighting, the discussions around whether or not critical race theory should be taught in schools, social media violence, and the shocking videos. Yes, some of these conversations absolutely need to happen. But the way that these conversations are happening are not productive. And what they're doing is they're taking us away from the reality. We are overstimulated and we are distracted from what is actually going on. Over the last few weeks, the conversation has been all about whether or not Will his, you know, should have slapped or should not have slapped Chris Rock, while at the same time, very little attention has been given to the, um, the issues around the, the White House being, uh, I'm sorry, the Capitol being stormed and the fact that um, one of our justices has a wife that was involved in that situation. But we are focused on Will Smith. And these are the kinds of things that people who want to perpetuate racism are sitting back and basking in. The fact that we are distracted from the very things that actually matter in our lives. Now, according to author Sean Acor, he's the author of Before Happiness, and he talks about this, this element of noise and, and the distractions that keep us from A, being happy, and B, from really stepping into our purpose. And I will venture to say that combating racism is a part of our collective purpose. So he gives us three strategies that we can utilize so that we can eliminate the noise and pay more attention to the signal. And so strategy number one is recognizing that signal versus the noise. Signals are things that give us information that's reliable and valuable and alerts us to opportunities and possibilities for change even and, and resources that can help us reach our fullest potential. Debating about whether or not we believe Will and Jada's marriage is a legitimate marriage is, an, is not a signal, it's noise. So we have to know how to pay attention to the signal. Strategy number two is stopping our addiction to the noise. Can we resist allowing ourselves to be buried in these conversations? Can we resist and focus on the signals as opposed to the noise? And then strategy number three is to cancel the internal noise. What's going on inside of you that is more of a, a elements of noise rather than signals. More of the Joy Whisperer coming up. It's all is good, it, baby. Is it really all good? If you love me enough to routinely test your handyman skills, not to mention the strength of your marriage, then of course you'll visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to make sure I'm in the right car seat. It's an amazing experience. It was so much more than I expected. I didn't quite know what I was getting into when I signed up for this. Was it the right program for me? Was I going to get what I needed out of it? 
I got what I needed and more. For anyone considering becoming a coach, I highly recommend this program. This weekend intensive was so awesome. Uh, it allows structure and discipline and it's an efficient process. And most importantly, you have instructors that bring real life experiences that bring the content to life. I got practice. I'm not afraid to walk out and coach somebody right now. I also got clients and booked clients from those discussions. I also booked a speaking engagement from this weekend. This was way more than I could have imagined. Which is phenomenal. You know, I, I don't really think I could have asked for much more. Most of my family, they never graduated high school or even let alone go to college, so I'm trying to break that barrier. Every day after work, went straight to school, studied hard, and, and it paid off. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. The high school diploma is just added to the confidence, and now I feel unstoppable. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Thank you. Thank you. This week's Whisper in My Ear asks, how do I address microaggressions in the workplace? Unfortunately, this is a reality for many of us. And when we get back, I'm going to address exactly that. My Shiro doesn't always wear a cape, but she always has time for a hug, a smile, for going the extra mile. My Shiro stretches every dollar, puts in long hours, puts others first. But now it's your time, Mom. When you're ready to retire, we want you to be able to enjoy it. It's time to start saving now. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to start boosting your retirement savings today. Visit aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. So looking at the work of Sean Acor, author of Before Happiness, he talks about really the process that we go through and that impacts the way that we step into our potential. And I like to look at this also from the standpoint of the reality that we're living in. And so whether that reality is that of racism um, or if that reality is that of being in a, um, uh, an unknown situation, a relationship, whatever that is, when we look at the context of our situations, the meaning that we give to it is what really helps us on that journey to our potential. And there's four steps um, in terms of where we go from that place of defining our meaning. So that first place is the reality. So what is the reality of the, of the situation? So let's say that we are in a work environment that isn't very conducive to our well-being and that there's struggle, that there is in fact racism that might be in that situation. That is the reality that we can look at from a practical standpoint. Anybody outside looking in might be able to see that. But what's the reality that you attach to the situation? That's the reality that's then going to fuel your emotions. And 
so in this case, we have a, a sense of power over our situation and how we define our situation. So we could say that this is a, um, a highly oppressive work environment, that every time I try to speak up, I'm not heard. My voice isn't valued here. So that's one reality. But what's the reality that we can attach to this situation that would then create emotions that would get us going, that would motivate us? And so in that reality, I might say that if, if, if it was a reality I'm creating, I might say that the reality of the situation is that I am being challenged to rise above the current situation, which might mean that I might need to find a better place to work. So I'm being challenged to rise above. And because I'm being challenged to rise above, the resulting emotion that's attached to that might be an emotion of endearment for myself, an emotion that says, I have the strength and the wherewithal and the confidence to create a new situation for myself. So it might be an emotion of, of strength, an emotion of um, empowerment that I might feel as a result of that reality that I define for myself. So step number one is defining that reality. Step number two is identifying the emotions that are attached to that reality that you've defined. Step number three then, what does your emotion then fuel? It then fuels your motivation. So if your emotion is the kind of emotion that says I am empowered and I have the strength and whatever it, I need to be able to rise above the situation, then my motivation is going to be fueled by that emotion. And what that motivation will then do is propel me in the direction and into activities and into actions that are going to um, move me into a new place. And then the last step there is the potential. So what it means then is that my motivation informs the potential that I can have in that particular situation. So if my first step there, if my reality is that I am being challenged to rise to a new place, and because of that challenge, the emotion I feel is emotion that makes me empowered because I know that I've got it in me, and that empowerment then motivates me to act in ways that are going to create new opportunities for myself, the potential is that I very likely will create a new situation for myself. And this works both ways. So if we create a reality or we define our reality in something that yields negative emotions. So for example, the reality is that everybody is against me. Nobody likes me. Nobody respects me because I'm a woman. Nobody respects me because I'm a person of color. And that is my reality. Then the emotion associated with that is going to be sadness, anger, fear. And then what kind of emotion or motivation does that create from sadness, um, fear, loneliness, and so forth? It creates a motivation that says, it's, I give up. I'm despondent. And then the potential, the resulting potential is going to be significantly different because you don't have that motivation to propel you to something new. So understanding these, these, um, how these all work together is how we can find our potential in the face of racism. It's time to tag a friend in this conversation. 
I find joy identifying as a black woman? I find joy in identifying as a black woman through my political voice, through my political power of voting. Kamala and Kataja, when I look at them, it makes me proud. It gives me joy to know that I am a black woman that was a part of the voices that were lifted up to put them where they are today with the power of voting. That's part of me being able to identify as a black woman and be glad about it. This week's Whisper in My Ear asks, how do I address the microaggressions that I experience at work? Well, one of the things that I want to point out is that microaggressions has a lot of different um, ways that they're manifest. And so uh, some people even don't necessarily love the word microaggression because sometimes the actions are, in fact, quite aggressive. But what a microaggression essentially is, is this idea that somebody makes a statement or gesture towards you that's really a slight against who you are and it's really based on your identity. So an example of a microaggression might um, you know, refer to you as being a woman or a person of color and how that has something to do with the way that you perform your work or something like that. Um, referring to your age and saying that, well, you know, when you reach that age or you're pretty young so you don't know better, those are all microaggressions. So how do you address those kinds of situations at work? The reason why it's particularly difficult to do so is because we don't always know what the intention is of the person who states them. If it feels a certain kind of way, if it doesn't feel like it was meant in good intention, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, did I receive it the way they intended it? And that's one of the features of a microaggression is that we don't always know if something is done intentionally. The other thing about a microaggression is that it doesn't really matter whether or not the intent was negative. What ma matters the most is the way that the statement or the gesture hits you. And being able to speak to that is going to be the thing that makes all the difference in how those microaggressions um, are, you know, play out and, and whether or not they continue. So I have four different ways that I address microaggressions, um, depending on what they are and how they play out. Number one is by addressing it directly, boldly, and unapologetically. I once had a colleague who made a comment about my age and thought, well, you're young, you know, and that's just the way that young people do it. And I turned to that colleague in the middle of this meeting in front of everybody, and I was very direct and said that my age is not a factor in this conversation. And I made it very clear. And it was, in fact, the last time that she ever made a reference or comment around my age, um, particularly in a negative way. So number one, address it directly, boldly, and unapologetically. Number two, give it a low energy response. Sometimes these microaggressions don't necessarily require that we blow up on other people or that we expend a whole lot of energy explaining ourselves to other people. Sometimes it's a matter of a look. Sometimes it's a matter of a word spoken and moving on. But as long as our point is being made. Number three, have a private conversation. So maybe it's a matter of just pulling the person to the side and saying, so I just need to clarify um, or be clear to you on how what was said um, was received by me. And having a conversation about that situation in a private manner. So, of course, that depends on the level of trust and the level of comfort you might have 
engaging in those kinds of conversations. And then number four, report it. Now, if this is something that has happened repeatedly, you've addressed it, or if it's something so extreme that you think, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. It's time to report it because this has reached a level of harassment that I'm, I'm just no longer interested in, in addressing or dealing with. So it really does this depend on a few things, how you respond. It depends on who you are and what is um, really the, most, the, the response that's most resonant with who you are as a person. But it also depends on the way that the microaggression happened, the way it was um, communicated to you. Um, and then what are the policies or the procedures that go along with reporting a microaggression? How might that look? Another thing is that, you know, when, when we look at intention versus, um, you know, how people receive what was said, it's so important to realize that the way that the comment or that gesture was received is really important in terms of creating an environment of psychological safety. It's really easy to explain it away and say, well, they didn't mean it that way, or how do we know that was actually a microaggression? We may not know whether or not it was intended as a microaggression, but if a, the very nature of a microaggression says that if it is something that is a slight against somebody's identity, it is indeed a microaggression. Look at this example from Tiffany Haddish. She was in her professional workplace setting on the red carpet when a reporter asked her a question that she felt was a complete violation of her dignity and therefore a microaggression. Tiffany Haddish handled it quite well, and I'll let you check it out and decide for yourself. Do a little, a little costume change? Um, I, I'm not wearing a costume. I'm wearing Dolce Gabbana. <laughs> it's called an evening gown, darling. This is not, no one's paying me for this. I paid for it. It's custom. Thank you. Time of death for me right now. You look gorgeous. This is not an acting gig. This is my life. This what fame look like. This what success look like. This what money look like. This what it look like. It's what it look like. Most of my family, they never graduated high school or even let alone go to college. So I'm trying to break that barrier. Every day after work, went straight to school, studied hard, and, and it paid off. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. The high school diploma is just added to the confidence, and now I feel unstoppable. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Amazing experience. It was so much more than I expected. I didn't quite know what I was getting into when I signed up for this. Was it the right program for me? Was I going to get what I needed out of it? I got what I needed and more. For anyone considering becoming a coach, I highly recommend this program. This weekend intensive was so awesome. Uh, it allows structure and discipline, and it's an efficient process. And most importantly, you have instructors that bring real-life experiences that bring the content to life. I got practice. I'm not afraid to walk out and coach somebody right now. I also got clients and booked clients from those discussions. I also booked a speaking engagement from this weekend. This was way more than I could have imagined. We're just phenomenal. You know, I, I don't really think I could have asked for much more.
If you love them enough to drive an hour to cheer them on as they get beat 11 to nothing in the rain, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Thank you. Identity-based joy is not a form of racism. It, in fact, is a form of self-love. Now, what is identity-based joy? Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, identity-based joy is really that joy that looks at Black joy, the joy that looks at um, Latino joy, I mean, whatever kind of joy is associated with who you are and who you get, take great pride in being, Irish joy, um, black boy joy, it is okay to have levels of joy based on who you are. And the reason why I, um, I address this is because as I have been delving into this conversation around joy, um, and particularly in, on platforms like LinkedIn, I have seen opposition to this concept of joy, particularly when it's attached to um, a, a, an identity. So a while ago, um, there was um, there was a lot of talk around when uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson was was brought in, and there was a lot of talk about Black joy um, at that point. And some of the feedback um, included statements like "Black joy is racism." And this was a declaration, this was on a post after Senator Cory Booker stood up for Judge uh, Ketanji Brown, uh, Jackson Brown, um, and he talked about experiencing black joy um, during that time. And the, the response was, black joy is racism. Um, somebody wrote, stop with the, the race bleep. Um, another person said, this is why racism remains in existence, because you use terms like black joy. And my response to that is celebrate your joy, celebrate the truth and the whole of who you are. Embrace your culture. Don't be ashamed of your culture. There's no need to stifle it. There's no need to dumb it down. Um, and find joy in who you are and step into that joy. So one of the things that I, I, I take very seriously as we look at this concept of joy and why it's so important as a form of resistance and a form of restoration um, is, you know, the cultural identity of my ancestors were stripped away. And so we embraced blackness and that is why we use black joy. I can't say Nigerian joy. I don't know necessarily where my roots are from, but I know what we did in this country is we identified, we adopted blackness as our identity. And that is why you hear Black joy. Um, so for others of other cultural backgrounds, they can be much more specific about their identity. Uh, they can say German joy. They can say whatever it is that applies to them and their culture and their heritage. And for people who are bothered by the term black joy, it's important for you to understand that that is just about as specific as we can get uh, when we are attaching our 
our history and our culture and our traditions to the concept of joy. So I want to share with you, I've been reading this book called um, Black Joy, and it's very, I love it because it has very similar tagline that, that we have to this show, but it's called Black Joy, Stories of Resistance, Resilience, and Restoration. And this is by Tracy McHale Lewis Giggets. And what she says in this, and it really gives a great explanation for why we use the term black joy. She says, the stories of the descendants of enslaved African people are convoluted at best, and therefore our joy is ever intertwined with our struggle, ever integrated with the trauma wielded against us. You're going to have to use a different lens to witness this brand of joy. Black joy is both pervasive and petty that way with an unwillingness to contort itself in order to become some beacon of light for the world. No, black joy, no matter how complicated, knows its survival lies in the ability for every vessel to fill it to remain free, even on the inside. So what she's saying here is that black joy is for us. It is a way for us to to bring in the fuel we need for survival. And so while there may be outward expressions of that, like Cory Booker's declaration of him feeling black joy, it is really about what's going on on the inside of us. It's about healing. It's about finding our power. And it's about survival. So the next time you hear somebody talk about their black joy, celebrate it. Because that means that they are speaking of survival. My Shiro doesn't always wear a cape, but she always has time for a hug, a smile, for going the extra mile. My Shiro stretches every dollar, puts in long hours, puts others first. But now it's your time, Mom. When you're ready to retire, we want you to be able to enjoy it. It's time to start saving now. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to start boosting your retirement savings today. Visit aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. If you need to do something to feel okay to drive, you're not okay to drive. Don't drive buzzed. It's all is good, it, baby. Is it really all good? If you love me enough to routinely test your handyman skills, not to mention the strength of your marriage, then of course you'll visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to make sure I'm in the right car seat. It's time to tag a friend in this conversation. What brings me joy during challenging times is to let a friend know how much they mean to me. And what I find is that by sharing out the joy that that person brings to me, it actually brings me joy. Reminds me of how blessed I am and the community that I have cultivated in my life. Now, a really great example of two joy-whispering rock stars would be Venus and Serena Williams. Now, it has just been incredible, the amount of microaggressions um, the amount of backlash that we've received over um, just our excellence in, in being black women and the things that we do. And some of it seems incredibly uncalled for. So, well, all of it seems incredibly uncalled for. But this one in particular is an example that happened at the Critics' Choice Awards um, a little while ago. And this was when Jane Champion 
Jane Campion was receiving an award, and she, upon acceptance of the award, singled out the two tennis stars in the audience to say, Venus and Serena Williams, you're such marvels. However, you do not play against the guys like I have to. Now, it was completely unprovoked. It was just a statement that for whatever reason, she felt the need to say. First and foremost, let's, let's clarify some things. Venus and Serena Williams very much do have to play against the guys um, from the standpoint of the way the men's league is um, given the attention and the time and the money um, versus the way historically the women's leagues have gone. So in one way, yes, you are playing against the guys. But if you know anything about tennis, you know that there is a, um, a division called uh, doubles. And in doubles, they do play against the guys. So first and foremost, her statement was not even factual. But what I want to focus on is the way that Venus and Serena responded as this happened um, and they're sitting in the audience. Yes, they did smile. And yes, they did sit there with grace. And they, you know, looked at, you know, completely dignified in even being in the spotlight um, in a way that seemingly was competitive and not necessarily positive. But what those two chose to do in that moment was to remain silent. And this is this speaks to what I was saying about um, the way that we can respond to microaggressions is to give it a low energy response. And that is precisely what they did. This isn't even worth my energy. Number one, it's not factual. And number two, it just isn't even worthy of my energy and my time. And so I love the way that they just took it in and said, you know, I'm dismissing this as something that's not even worthy of comment or energy. Now, I think that this has a lot to do with, you know, I said at the beginning of the show that the way we respond to microaggressions or racism um, or slights against us has a lot to do with our racial socialization. And considering that um, the movie just came out that kind of showed the way that they were parented, we kind of get a sense of the fact that they were well prepared for statements exactly like the one that Jane Campion made um, uh, on the stage. So their father, their mother were very intentional about, first of all, allowing them to understand that what they are up against as two black women playing in the arena of tennis, what that looks like in this world, what they need to prepare themselves for, how to not say no or not to accept no for an answer, but to keep pushing and to keep moving in the direction of their dreams, how to know that their own talent and what they have to bring to the table is going to be far greater than what the majority of other people would bring to the table. So they, un they, they socialize them to understand those dynamics of race in society and those dynamics of, of what it means to compete and to, to be successful. But they also socialize them to understand the value of themselves, to have a sense of pride in themselves, to have pride in who they are as tennis players, as daughters, as sisters, but also to have pride in who they are as black women, black young women, who have the opportunity to blaze a new trail in this particular arena. So this is why I come back to this concept of racial socialization, because what they were not going to do was to allow this woman to get on stage and steal their joy in a moment where they were actually there for the sole purpose 
of being recognized. And that's one of the things that I want us to remember. If we can kind of tie back to how we were raised and what we were brought up to believe and examine that and determine the usefulness of that as we press on, as we deal with our own racism, we'll be able to create a plan for ourselves and determine, is silence and low energy response appropriate or do I need to rage in my joy? This was an amazing experience. It was so much more than I expected. I didn't quite know what I was getting into when I signed up for this. Was it the right program for me? Was I going to get what I needed out of it? I got what I needed and more. For anyone considering becoming a coach, I highly recommend this program. This weekend intensive was so awesome. Uh, it allows structure and discipline and it's an efficient process. And most importantly, you have instructors that bring real life experiences that bring the content to life. I got practice. I'm not afraid to walk out and coach somebody right now. I also got clients and booked clients from those discussions. I also booked a speaking engagement from this weekend. This was way more than I could have imagined. We're just phenomenal. You know, I, I don't really think I could have asked for much more. This week's gift to myself was to say yes to an invitation of a girl's trip to Vegas. Yes, I went and enjoyed the beautiful scenery of Vegas. And what we got to do was, these are old college girlfriends, so we got to bond and catch up and really just enjoy the presence of each other after probably a good decade of not having seen each other. So we enjoyed great meals. Um, we even got to do a stripper class, or it was a pole dancing class. Nobody was stripping. Um, but pole dancing, for those of you who don't know, is actually a great form of fitness and, and it really does build strength, upper body strength, leg strength, all of that. So it was a really fun and great experience. So take the time to splurge a little. Next time you have an opportunity to join some friends, it's so easy to say no. But just pause for a second and say, you know what? Let me just say yes to this. Let me go ahead and give myself the opportunity to have a great time with my friends. It is totally okay to do that, and it is a great way to bring forth your joy. Racism is real, and therefore, our joy is absolutely necessary. It is necessary for our survival, for our livelihood, and for the unity that it will take to dismantle racism in the society. We can't go silent with it. And to borrow the words of Oprah, what I know for sure is that racism will not go away without our willingness to stand against it. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of The Joy Whisperer. To join the conversation throughout the week, visit me on social media. Tune in on SSN TV via Roku every Thursday at noon Eastern time. And remember, joy is our best energy source for our resilience, our relationships, our restoration, and our resistance.
There's more to come on SSN TV, television, all the way up. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.